and welcome to our newest episode, episode number four of One Cardinal, One Cub, and One Beer. And I think that there's a lot of people in St. Louis who have needed to have more than one beer this week, but we're going to get into that. Uh, before we get rolling, I do want to let you know, if you have not noticed, we do have a Facebook page. Wow. Move so go to our Facebook, Facebook page. It is called One Cardinal, One Cub, and One Beer. So it's pretty easy to find. That's the number one, not the, not the word one. Find it, like it, leave us comments. Um, there are things that we can do on the Facebook page that we just can't do on the YouTube. And obviously we can't do some of this stuff as a podcast, like maybe post videos, stuff like that, interact with, with people who are listening. So please go to our Facebook page and like it. Um, I did get a comment uh, oh. that came through our email asking, why do we have the comments, the comments on the YouTube channel shut down? Well, this is like an old man thing. And I accidentally did this because I've done a few YouTube channels for different things that are not sports related. And they've been more or less kind of adult oriented. So when you post a video, you can say if it's for kids or not for kids. And so with this, I want everybody to be able to watch our YouTube show, including kids so I just punch it's for kids. When you put down that it's for kids, it will not allow comments to be left. Oh, okay. In case someone, you know, writes a comment like, hey, you blankety blank, 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 like could happen. Uh, so what I've decided to do is if you want to leave a comment from here on out, I am going to take off made for kids if kids want to watch it they can still watch it but i'll let the comments flow so we are going to rectify that jj how has your week been my week has been minus baseball it's been a really good week with baseball oh my lord it's been been a sad day i don't know about you vince when the season ends for your team i know usually i mean unless you win the world series you know, you go out a loser and um, I don't know, there's like a loss. It takes me a couple of days to kind of recover. I'm still going to watch the rest of the season, but uh, it's just different when your team is go- not out of it, you know? So uh, let me, let me ask you this. We've been out of it since the beginning of June. We knew that the Cubs were not going to be going to the playoffs. So I miss watching meaningful games and getting emotionally involved, like, oh, my gosh, we've got to win this, we're in a fight, blah, 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 blah. But there is some kind of a a, uh, comfort for me to watch meaningless games. I can just watch them as the baseball nerd, as the guy who likes to sit there and try to outguess the pitcher and try to outguess the hitter as to what's coming. That part of me is satisfied when we're out of it would you rather be out of it in june or be in the situation the cardinals were in with such high expectations and then have this first two out of three series the first two games at home 
and things just fall apart. What would you rather do? I would always rather have a shot. I always say at the <clears throat> going into September, if we're within five games, I think that was a pretty good season. If we were within five games on September 1st, that, that was a pretty successful year. And just a shot at winning or getting in the playoffs, I think that's always our goal, you know, because um, I've heard people say all kinds of crazy things. Oh, the Cardinals start out good every year and fall apart. Well, that's not true. And then I've heard the other. Well, the Cardinals always start out slow and have a great end of the season. Now, sometimes that is true, but it's no rhyme or reason. I just want them to be competitive. But I will say this about the Cubs. I have been up there when they're way out of it, and they pack that place. And it is relaxing just to sit and watch the team. There's no stress because down the pennant drive, everything matters. Every little miscue, every yeah. hit. When you come through, you're bigger than you would have been. And if you mess up, you're the worst that ever was. And all these players that have got to the big leagues were probably the best player in their area that ever played baseball. So every the 24th guy on the team is a phenomenal baseball player. And um, sometimes it just goes your way. Sometimes it don't, you know, but I would rather be in it. To answer your question, I would rather be in it and have that heartbreak. You know, is it better to love and not have heartbreak? I say it's better to have that heartbreak. Go for it. <laughs> I agree with you. There's the baseball nerd in me. I love watching games that I'm not emotionally invested in because what really gets me about baseball, when you're not talking about your fandom, I'm just talking about an observer of the sport and why I think baseball is superior to other sports. And I know that baseball has been slipping um, probably maybe even below hockey now as far as, as interest. But what gets me about baseball, it's the slow pace and I, the, the individual batter, the individual battle between pitcher and hitter, no matter what the count and me trying to think, what would I throw if I was the pitcher? And if I was the hitter, what would I expect was coming? Because there's an intellectual chess game that takes some time for them to figure out their moves. So I like in watching baseball more like watching chess, which is not an action-packed game to watch. Uh, football, basketball, hockey, soccer, those are sports that are, are continually moving. There's a lot of action. And I get that this generation, the generation, I would say the last two generations are more into that. And I get it because I love to watch other sports and I love action sports. But the nerdy side of me, that's why I just cling to baseball. So I can watch a meaningless game between the, the Tigers and the Royals in September. And I don't care who's pitching. I don't care. Hey, we got John Ralph Smith pitching, who was playing kitten ball <laughs> in Potosi, Missouri, two weeks ago. And we discovered him. You know, I get into that intellectual chess battle that goes on in every game. Um, but the fan and me, so I, I'm, what I'm saying is I can enjoy that when the Cubs are out of it. I really can. So I can watch all the way through until the end of the season and they beat the Reds 15 to two, but lo and behold, there's still a third place team. That's like eight games below 500, 10 games. I don't know. I don't care, but 
I do want the shot to be in it every year. I do want to get caught up in that emotion. And I do want the chance to feel that elation because the pain that you feel, particularly as a Cub fan that you have felt time and time and time again, when it finally happened at the age of 50 for me, at the age of 75, I think for my father, it was worth it. It was so worth it. So I would rather be in a position where there was a meltdown. And I'm going to talk about the biggest meltdown in baseball history today <laughs> when we talk about our, our postseason, our favorite postseason games and our favorite posts and our, 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 our most heartbreaking postseason moments. So we'll get into that pretty soon. Let's uh, talk about game one. Let me let me read a. This is a, a comment I got on our Facebook page by Jeff. He said the Cardinal bats have been inconsistent all season, and it showed. And I agree with that. But that's every team. That's just baseball today. Batting averages are down team wide. It's harder and harder to hit the ball. It's very t- difficult to string together big innings. So every team has inconsistent. Hit. So I didn't think that was a great revelation. But then he, he pulled out this. Helsley should have been pulled much sooner. And that was a rookie manager mistake. But the offense should be better. You're managing the Cardinals. What do you do different in that ninth inning? Yeah, that, that's one reason I love baseball is the managing. Where would you put the lineup? What plays would you have done? That kind of thing. I think Quintana was pitching very well at the time when they took him out. Yes. But- but all year long since he's come to the Cardinals, the third time around, if he's had a good game, they've taken him out because statistics show, you know, those those sabermetrics guys, I think if he got a hot pitch. running baseball. Yeah, they're running baseball. I'm an old guy, and I like it the old way. But they took him out. Our bullpen had to go uh, three, 3.2 innings. And um, people were talking about, uh, you to address the question about Helsley, Somebody, either you or someone I know, told me about Helsley had a, a finger issue. Yes, he did. So I know Ollie would have talked to the coaches, or the uh, doctors, the team physicians, seen what they thought, seen what Helsley thought. If he says he's good to go, of course, he probably would say he's good to go. I think it was more of a failure of a young guy put in a high-pressure situation and just wanted to come through, and it wasn't working. The thing I probably would say more than anything is when they brought Pilate in for Helsley, they brought the infield in for a play at the plate. I think they should have played a little further back for a double play depth. It's easy to say that now because it's like Monday morning quarterback, but the ball that was hit, that drove it, uh, Segura's hit was just out of Edmonds' range. And I think if he had played just double play depth, not in for the play at the plate, I think we would have got the double play. And if we scored that run, if we scored the run in the bottom of the ninth, we would have won three to two. But, uh, but you know, I've heard people on the radio say, oh, it was Ollie's fault. It was Helsley's fault. It was the pitching or hitting coach's fault. I really think it was, if it, if it was someone's fault, I think it was the Phillies. They just played better, came up with the big hits at the big times. Um, that's, that's all I can say. I tip my cap to the Phillies. I, I really do. I just think they played better, but. Uh, I would have played the infield back a little further for double play instead of the play at the plate. That's what I would have done. I, I, I agree with you. And I'll get 
there in a minute. Um, let me let me talk about my experience watching the game. Okay. I watched innings one through eight and thought, there is no freaking way that the Phillies are going to win this with Helsley coming in. It, the game was over in my mind. And I talked last week that the Cubs played the Phillies a week and a half before the season ended, and the Phillies looked punchless, and that's exactly how they look. Quintana is not throwing 99. He's hittable. He was spotting really well, but he's hittable. And they just look like a team that was flat and didn't care. And I know great pitching always makes the team look flat. But when they played the Cubs and the Cubs swept the three games, uh, the Cubs weren't throwing out quality, great quality pitching. They don't have swing and miss pitchers. The Phillies just look just like they did against the Cubs. So I thought, okay, they've kind of checked out here. Now, I, I have to go to... Uh, the hardware store, Walmart, and to get fuel. And every time I get back in, I realize that something's mounting. So I start bringing my phone and paying attention. So I didn't watch the ninth inning until the next day when I Mm. watched the replay of it. I simply read it, and I'm like, what's going on here? It was so Cubbyan, if I can use that. It was like the Cardinals don't do this. This is what the Cubs do. So when I went back and watched it, this was my take on it. First of all, if a pitcher is missing with his fastball and it's a mechanical issue, they're missing in the same place. They're missing high and away, high and away. So the pitching coach comes out there and says, hey, your release point is off, you know, something like that. Or the catcher, Molina, will do that. Helsley was missing all over the place all over, high and away, low. His fastball was what he could not control very well. The slider still looked good, and a slider by nature, a lot of those are not going to be strikes. Uh, You don't want to throw your breaking ball for a good strike. You want it to throw either at the corners or dip out of the zone and have them chase. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, when looking back, I realized this was not a mechanical issue This had to be an issue with the finger. So my problem with with Marmel and, and, you know, Jeff's comment being a rookie manager, when you've managed that much in the minors and you've managed that much, anybody who comes to manage in the major leagues who has that kind of minor league managing experience, I don't consider them a rookie manager. I mean, you know, when Ross came in never managing before the Cubs, that's a rookie manager. But when you've spent all your time in the organization like Schilt did before this and like, and like uh, uh, Marmel has, that you are who you are as a manager. You, you have your patterns. I don't know if it was Helsley's responsibility to say when he went out there, he got the first out, started saying, hey, the fingers bother me. They're, we got to get a different option out here. It's not me. Now, an athlete has a hard time doing that because they're competitive by nature. You make it to the major leagues. You didn't make it to the major leagues by saying, I can't do it. You didn't. Right. So that's very difficult, I understand, from, from the athlete's perspective. But from the manager's perspective and the catcher's perspective, he's missing the fastball all over the place. So I do think they kept him in at least one batter too long. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Second thing about Segura's hit the infield wasn't completely in. They, I've, I've seen, I, they weren't even, ha- they were about three quarters in. Uh, Segura's hit 
what, what was the exit velocity? Um, I think if it was any less, the ball would have been going backwards. I mean, it was like, it was right. like come on, man, come on, man. Um, it, it was just placed there. So, so I, I looked at this and I thought, I don't know if it was so much a collapse as it was just a series of weird events. You had a pitcher in there who was losing it. Um, couldn't find the plate. He had a couple walks and a hits bat hit batsman. Um, and then the balls that were hit were, were not, they weren't scorchers. Uh, the hardest ball hit was, you know, the sacrifice fly, fly by Schwarber. Mm-hmm. Besides that, it was just a very weird inning. And then in the ninth inning, when the Cardinals had two on two outs, the, the, the tying run at the plate and it's Molina. I knew he couldn't come through. He's not that player anymore. So I thought, why aren't they pinch hitting? And then when I went back and I looked, the only option they had left was Kenzer, uh. who is probably the only hitter I would trust less than Molina. So it was almost like you've got this aging catcher who, who's well past his prime offensively, but you really didn't have an option to go after that. Was that bad managing? I went, I looked at um, who, who was a, uh, brought into the game it was managed the way you manage a tight two to nothing game going into the later innings you bring in your better defensive players you you move move people around you you bring in the pinch the pinch hitter gorman i think was that in the eighth they brought him in or the ninth but they he pulled all the right moves except for probably bringing helsley out in any or a, a hitter earlier but I really wish that Helsley would have told them when he couldn't find the plate, you know, after the first out, I'm having some issues. You might want to find a different option. And I, I can't blame him for that because like I said, he's an athlete. That's how he got that far in this that's career. Right. That, that's why I think it's more Marmel because I agree with Marmel. When he took guys out, Schilt used to leave people in too long. Matheny left people in too long. But Marmol, every time, yeah, every time I were, would say to myself, ah, I start getting some, I'd get somebody in the game now. Here come Marmol all year long, and that was the one time he didn't do it. Although Helsley is our best option, um, he did get two outs in the eighth, and then yeah. the, I think the first out of the ninth, maybe, and then he did. He got the he first out of the ninth, and then he only got five hits. The Phillies only got five hits. Um, and we got five hits. It was a very good game, well played for eight innings. And Helsley was about – no one is 100% going to get the job done every time. Even uh, Rivera, Mario Rivera, didn't get it done every time. But Helsley was about as close as you could get. I think he only – that was only like the fourth time he blew a save, I remember, this year. He gave a lot of – he gave him like three home runs late in games. I know one was against the Marlins, but he's about as consistent as you can get. Um, you're right. Last week you said that about uh, Molina, and I was like, "Oh, you said you know he's just not the guy." He was. Last two years, and you were exactly right. I went back and looked over some statistics, but he was the best hitting catcher we had over Herrera and Kisner by far. So, yeah. um, I think he only hit two seventeen, maybe two twenty one. Um, it, but- it was down there. Yeah, but you, sometimes your lineup gets exposed. Sometimes the big moment is right 
you gotta, you know, and sometimes those guys come through, but that wasn't one of them. Yeah. The second game, I do recall saying this. I'm not patting myself on the back. Um, I'm just, I'm just saying I liked when the Phillies, um, played the Cubs and the Cubs swept them. The only player that I thought that looked like they were ready for the postseason was Bryce Harper. I remember you saying that. Yeah. And Harper that he was just sitting on that on that curveball by Michaelis and killed it. Just there it went. It was a moonshot. And I, I wow. Um you know I I thought Nola's a great pitcher, but I, I thought that as the game went on, they were they were going to get some runs off of him. Oh, I did too. I did too. And uh, it it just it didn't happen. And I think I think a lot of that was carryover. Uh, the the game is, is is such a grind, and it mentally wears on you. In football, you can lose a heartbreaking game, and you've got a week to put it behind you and to recover. In baseball, you lose a heartbreaking game, it sticks with you the next day. And that's why baseball, even, even great teams will go into these funks where they lose four, five, six, seven games in a row because it's hard to mentally pick yourself up. And I thought the Cardinals played like a team that were not mentally picked, had picked themselves up. Great pitching will make you look like that. Oh, yeah. Um, but it was... For my friends who are Cardinal fans, I, I you know, I, I felt for them because as a Cub fan, I've been through some of those weird games where there's just weird things happen that, that melt down. Um, and you, you just have to tip your hat to the Phillies. Now, I will say this about the Phillies. They played in a much tougher division, so they, they, they were more battle-tested than the Cardinals who – Let's face it, once the Brewers, the trade deadline hit, the Brewers, you know, didn't hit on any trades and got rid of Hater. It was like, yeah, you know, it, it, it was almost easy for the Cardinals. From there it kind of it kind of killed the morale. He was like one. He was probably one of the three big leaders on the team and they traded him off. Yeah, and, uh, I think that really killed the morale. But I do think the Central Division, which is always considered of the National League, the weakest division. I think it's on the upswing. Pirates have some good young players. I think the Cubs, they're always scary. They got money. They always got some good. It seems like their minor leagues are getting better. The Brewers are always around. The Reds don't scare me right now. But the other four, I, everybody in the division, I think, is getting a little bit better. So I, I'm, tougher. I'm very curious if the Brewers are going to um, blow it up to some degree. Because their offense is stagnant, Yelich has that terrible contract, and he's just he's just not a good player anymore. Um, and you've got you've got Burns, you've got Woodruff, you've got some pitching to build around, but the rest of it, it it's it it just doesn't impress me a whole lot. So I, I'm kind of wondering if the Brewers are going to blow things up, and I'm you know the pirates are so young and the pirates it's, it's, they got key Brian Hayes who looks like he's got a lot of potential, although he played a little bit below that potential for, I think a second year player. He didn't, he didn't have a good season. Still a great defender. He killed us. 
when we um, played him, he always was the guy that was getting the big hits and everything. Yeah. And that the uh, the shortstop, the six seven kid, oh, uh, O'Neill Cruz, the O'Neill yeah. Cruz. He, I don't think he hit two hundred, but man, he he's scary. He's scary. I wouldn't want yeah. him hitting a line drive back to me. He had one home run. I think the exit velocity was the most ever recorded, or something. Yeah, and yeah. It, it hit the back of the over the wall, hit the thing, and bounced all the way back in. Uh, yeah, he's, he's something else. They got a, and they got the, that Reynolds kid in the outfield. I think is a pretty good player too. Yeah, you know, there's so. there's a little talent there. I just I just don't think they're the pirates that you know you saw six seven years ago who just had it all put together. Well, can I, the other. Can I, can I say something? Even Certainly. though we out hit, we did out hit them. We got seven hits in the second game. And they got four. So they only got nine hits in two games. I think our pitching did good. I think Marmel did a good job of taking out uh, uh, Michaelis and putting in Montgomery. The, the bullpen did very good in the second game. Um, so the future, even though things are bleak right now and Cardinal Nation's sad, I think sometimes you got to go through a little heartache before good things happen. It's just, that's the way it is. So I, I this is the things that give me uh, positivity and hope for the future. One is we were probably on the power scale, probably the eighth best team in the playoffs. They ranked us like eighth in most of these charts. Well, even though we went out and it was disappointing and we were favored, uh, the Mets and the Blue Jays went out. And I tell you what, nothing makes me happier than the Mets going down. They spent all that money, heavily favored, <laughs> and they were, they were taken out. So that's that's good. And the Blue Jays, which not being me, you picked them as a, a dark horse to win it. And I, as far as hitting, there's maybe not a team that hits better than them. And the Seattle Mariners had like the biggest comeback ever and to knock them out. And so, you know. I feel bad, but my gosh, Toronto, New York's got to feel really bad. Uh, also, another positive is we're only 124 days away from pitchers and catchers going to spring training. It's going to be here before you know it. We just got to make it through this winter. And uh, and then I think it's 136 games before the first uh, spring training game. I know I, I that's still a ways <laughs> off, but that is something bright in the future. And the Cardinals, we had 13 Young players make their debuts this year. Uh, we're a young team. I know we had Pujols and Yachty and Wayno, and then you got Goldie and Arenado. Hopefully, Arenado comes back. I know there's a little question about that. But other than that, we're a young team. And those young guys, we lean so heavy on Goldschmidt and Arenado and Pujols all year that when they don't hit, the, the, the young guys really maybe got a hit here and there, but they didn't do a whole lot. But the Cardinals have seven of the top 100 prospects in the minor leagues. And hopefully we see, and uh, Jordan Walker is number seven, or number eight in the minor leagues. And there's a big talk that he may come up next year. So that'll be great. He's only 20 years old. And uh, so even though we lost, things look on the uptick for the Cardinals. It's it's not bleak. It hurts now, but. Oh, it hurts. Yeah. It, it Life goes on. There's next season. And that's what's great about baseball. There's always next season. Always next season. And. As someone who has said that a million and five <laughs> times with absolutely no conviction, this year I'm, I'm also optimistic that the Cubs are going to spend some money, that young talent's going to start coming to fruition. We're going to see Brennan Davis come up. We're going to see Matt Burvis come up. We're going to 
watch more pitchers uh, emerge who went through this pitch lab and figured it out. And so I think next year, I, I do think it's going to be the Cardinals and the Cubs, and that's the way the Central should be. That'll be fun. That'll be a great year. I don't think we get to play the Cubs as much as we used to. They're doing some even schedule. Yeah, they're, they're, they're doing the even schedule, so. I don't like that either. Yeah, it is. It, <laughs> it is it what it is. Happen. Yeah, yeah. So. Now, just to kind of highlight, we, we went over a few of these. Uh, the uh, the Padres uh, did us all a favor and took out Satan. And so we were very happy about that. And the, the second game, I wondered which Ian Snell would show up, and it was it was the bad one, the one who couldn't find the play. But other than that, I, I was so proud of you, Darvish, uh, who who pitched really good for the Cubs. And I know why they got rid of him. It was for the best for him. It is for the best for a team that was going to start to rebuild. Um, but he really had a good game and kind of put that memory of what happened in the World Series against the uh, Astros when he was with the Dodgers to bed, which we now know that the Astros may have had a little bit of an, a trash can advantage. <laughs> so I, I was very happy with him. And I thought Musgrove, um, when they started checking the heat on his ears, you know, and I liked how he gave it to the Mets duck out. Oh, yeah. Know? Be big oh yeah you I'm fine you know you can't hit me and that's your problem yeah and, they, and the commentators were saying yeah they're showalter's trying to get inside of Musgrove's head well I think Musgrove got inside of their heads I'm doing this and I'm look they're checking me yeah I'm doing this you just can't hit me so I think that got into the Mets head I uh also was uh very happy that the uh, Guardians uh, moved on. They are a young team. They're not a great team at all. They play in a weak division. Uh, 15 innings is not the funnest thing to watch. I love a pitching duel, one to nothing. But when the pitching duel goes 15 innings, it kind of gets a little monotonous, but it did win. It, it did end on a tremendous note. And I wish they would put the runner on second to start extra innings in the playoffs. Do you? you? I, 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 cause I think it favors the home team. Um, cause if the other team don't score, they can just sacrifice around and, and get the run. Um, I, I like a one nothing game, but a 15 inning one nothing game. It's like watching two drunks just throw haymakers at each other and eventually one's going to land one. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> but that was the only series I picked right. I'm going to be honest, I was one for three with my picks. I only picked Cleveland to win their series. I was wrong on the other three. So, you know, I, I thought the Mariners, they, they're a fun team and I hope, I hope they go further. I hope they, they don't let the uh, loss dampen them. I, I hope they pick themselves up because they're a young team. They're a fun team to watch. Um, these are, kids out there enjoying themselves and yeah, that, really, that youthful exuberance they're yeah. everything they're all just having a blast and isn't scott is scott service a ex-cub too yeah he used to catch for the cubs i thought so and um i you know we don't need to get into the series that's going on now but um bringing in robbie ray last night was probably the worst movie he could have made uh, the splits even showed that uh Alvarez hits left-handers better than right-handers. And 
I, I, I meant to go back and watch it. I don't, my, my, my son and I, I, I had to go to Kirksville this morning to get my son from college and midterm breaks because his car was stolen in an accident and everything. Oh, by the way, I was in a gas station in Macon, Missouri, uh, and I'm out there filling up gas with my shirt on. And on the back, you can see, I think you can see. Oh, yeah. Ricky Vaughn. Ricky Vaughn. Guy filling up next to me says, hey, Ricky. And I thought, oh, you got the wrong idea. Oh, he likes my shirt. But anyway, um, I was, my son and I were talking about the game. I said, I don't, I, I want to know where the catcher was setting up. You know, I don't think Robbie Ray went out there. And I don't think service told him, go out there and throw a fastball right down the middle. I wanted to see where the catcher was setting up. And my son one looked at it and said, I, I think he was setting up off the plate, you know, for a fastball off the plate or on the corner. And, uh, you know, he just threw a bad pitch. So it happens. It, it does. And, you know, it's, it's a growing thing. Service is his first postseason as a manager. He's been there for a while and uh, he will learn. Uh, you know, it's probably best to have people come in from the bullpen who actually pitch out of the bullpen. I think this was Ray's first relief appearance. And when you are a starter and you have a routine of what you do during your off days, and you're used to pitching 50 to 80 warm up pitches before you go out there and suddenly you're in the bullpen and you've got to warm up fast, you get less pitches, you're out of your routine. It's a recipe for disaster and disaster happened. And the Mariners blew a, a sizable lead on, on the Astros. And, and that was that. We are going to talk about our favorite postseason games. Game, I guess we're only going to highlight one game. And those that broke our hearts. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? Well, uh, why don't, why don't we? Okay. Go, go ahead. Start off with the heartbreak, then I'll do my heartbreak, and then you do. So we'll end up on a positive note. Well, Vince, I, what I did was my five favorite postseason moments. Okay, I I go with have, that. I haven't had special effects here at One Cardinal, One Cub, One Beer. We spend all we all we'll spend a ton of money for our special effects right there. That um, is not a generic sharpie. That is a real sharpie that you purchased there to put that down. I am well, yes. There you go. So we're going to go with number five right now. And this is in my order. And to be honest with you, I only went 74 to 2022. Because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't around when Gibson struck out all those Red Sox or Slaughter had the mad dash or Grover Cleveland Alexander came out of the bullpen in the seventh inning of the seventh game. Wasn't around. So yeah, I only go 74, 82. So my fifth greatest moment in Cardinal history is the Jack Clark home run off of Tom Niedenfjord in the 1985 NLCS. Now, to set this up, the Cardinals were losing. It was the sixth game, and we were up three to two because in game five, Ozzie had the famous left-handed home run, had 3,009 at-bats, never hit a home run left-handed, and he hit a home run off of Niedenfjord. Yeah. Lightning strikes twice. Well, Jack Clark was the only guy in our lineup that had thump. Everybody else was little punch-and-judy hitters and would just run. They had one out in the top of the ninth, and we're losing. And Willie McGee gets a hit, still second. Uh, Ozzie walks. Her knocks him over. And now Jack Clark comes up. So two outs, two on. What do you do? 
for some reason, Tommy Lasorda decides to pitch to the one guy that could hit it out of the park, and um, Jack crushed it. As soon as it left his bat, they knew it was gone. My greatest memories of that was uh, Pedro Guerrero in left field just throwing his glove down. He didn't even turn around and look. And they flash to Tommy Lasorda, who I love Tommy Lasorda. He's a baseball lifer. You could see him going, I should have effing walk Clark and pitch that damn Vance like. And I just loved it. And that, we got on a roll there. Later on, we go to lose to the Royals, but we did make it to the World Series against a very tough Dodger team. So the Jack Clark home run off of Tom Neenfuhr comes in at number five, Casey Kasem. There we go. All right, now we're to number four in the countdown. Number four to me is 2006 NLCS, game seven, Adam. It's the Adam Wainwright striking out Carlos Beltran. Oh my gosh, the Mets again, the dreaded stinking Mets, heavily favored over us. Um, Beltran had a history against the Cardinals, he had 50 career postseason at bats. And he was hitting 360 with seven home runs and 12 walks. He owned the Cardinals. He's a Cardinal killer. Probably one of the four biggest Cardinal killers since I've been following the Cardinals. Um, he, so we go into the ninth inning. And, and Adam Wainwright's a rookie in 2006. He becomes the closer somewhere in the middle of the season and did very well. They had uh, bases loaded and two outs. And the game is on the line. And Adam Wainwright, and I remember it was raining, and it was raining, and Adam got a 2 count on Beltran, and he fouled some balls off, and then he threw Uncle Charlie, and Carlos Beltran was frozen. And at that moment, when it was about to be a ball, it comes down to the strike zone, strikes him out, Yachty Wainwright, the, the legend has begun. And um, that was just one heck of a series right there. And then the Cardinals go on. And that's the year they won the World Series. Uh, that was was that the game that Molina hit hit a late home run to give the Cardinals the lead. Scott Rowland, it was it was uh it was one to one. Scott Rowland hit a ball over the wall, and they had a guy named Andy Chavez in left field who jumped and brought it back. And I yes. thought, oh my god, okay, oh no! It was like the signs, you know, the planets were aligned. Now we're in bad shape. But Yachty comes up and almost hits it the same spot, just a little further. Chavez is at the wall and he can't catch it. And that's the top of the ninth. And we go up three to one. And then Wainwright comes in in the bottom of the ninth. And it was shaky. Bases loaded two outs. But he comes through and, uh, oh, my God, that was something else. So that's memory four. And you're saying, well, Jay, how can we get any better than that? Oh, we've got those two memories. How can you top that? Well, we're the San Luis Cardinals, baby. And we're now we're up to number three on the Casey Kaysen countdown. And this, and this is all me. You guys can write in. The fans can write in and say, hey, I think this is higher. This is higher. But this is for me, what it meant to me. And uh, the third one is game five of the 2011 NLCS. And this is uh, National Division Series. Now we have an extra round. It was five games. And this is the famous Chris Carpenter, Roy Holiday game. And I'm going to tell you something. With the season on the with the season line, it's the fifth game. The winner goes on to the next round. I've never seen a game this good as far as a Cardinal fan, the one nothing game. Basically, we score in the first inning. Uh, Raphael Frucal hits a triple. Uh, Skip Schumacher and 
you know, if you're going to get to a good pitcher, you better get him to him early before they get settled down. Skip Schumacher comes in, who's now a Cardinal coach. He's the bench coach with Ollie. Yeah. Ten pitch at bat, fouling balls off. Roy Holiday's peppering the strikes on fouling them off. He gets a double, brings in for Cal. They, you know, he he gets out of the inning and just leaves Skip at second. The rest of the game, it's Imano Imano. And there's a famous play. I had the bobblehead out a couple of weeks ago of there was a play where uh, Carpenter grabbed the ball and was running slid and just got his tag in before the runner. And he almost got his pitching hand stepped on. Yeah. That would have changed everything right there. The game ends one to nothing. He goes nine innings. He almost threw a Maddox. We always uh, ex Cub, Greg Maddox, yeah. hundred uh, Maddox is a hundred pitches, a complete game shutout. He threw 110 pitches, only gave up three hits, and had three Ks. So the defense was great. Cardinals usually – we've had some bad years on defense, but usually the foundation of the Cardinal team is good defense. So they played good defense in that game. And um, I, I just always remember when he got the final out, he's almost just screaming, and the team is running and jumping around him. you know. And that's one of those moments that's frozen in time. And Chris Carpenter, even though he didn't have a long career with the Cardinals – very good pitcher had some injuries or he might be with Roy holiday in the, uh, and by the way, holiday and Carpenter played together with the blue Jays. Yeah. They another. were very good friends. Oh yes. They went fishing together in the off season and stuff. And it was just a great exhibition of pitching and command and changing the speeds. The best Cardinal game I've ever seen was that game right there, but we got two more. You say there's more. Yes. Two more. But Wait, there's more. Yes. If you order right now, We'll throw all this ice crusher. Number two, what would number two be? Now, a lot of people are going to think this is number one, and I'll tell you why number one is number one. But this was the David Freeze Game 6 2011 World Series. Now, a lot of people would probably put that at number one. It's in most people's recent memory. But basically, Texas was a powerhouse of a team. They had us on the ropes. Um, they, had, they had us down to the final. There was two outs. Two strikes on David Freeze, a young St. Louis kid. He had a nice season, but something happened in those playoffs. It was like he took some David Ortiz pills or something. He came to life. And he, and I to this day, I don't know why they kept Nelson Cruz in right field, but it came back to bite him. You, sometimes yeah. you expose the weakest link in the lineup or in the outfield. I think if they had just an average building outfielder out there, he would have caught that ball because it was very catchable. Oh, yeah. It was catchable. And I'm thank God he didn't catch it. The ball goes off the wall. He hits a triple. We take and we tie the game up. It goes to the 10th. Hamilton hits home run. Berkman comes through, ties the game up. And then in the uh, 11th inning, Freeze hits the go ahead home run. But to me, that triple was the thing. He was down two outs, two strikes. They've got the champagne on ice in the Rangers (laughs) locker room. And we snatch victory away from them. That was great. That was great. That was David and David Freeze. Now, I don't think he can ever have to buy a drink in St. Louis ever again. He's up there with McGee and Musial as far as he's Brock and he's postseason uh, moments. So David Freeze, game two. So game. What would number one be? Now remember, this is seventy four. <laughs> I like that anticipated look on your face. What would number one be? And this is number one for me. Game seven. 82 World Series. Bruce Suter, ex-Cub, sorry, striking out Gorman Thomas. <laughs> Porter, the place goes nuts because 
up to that point, the card in my lifetime, the Cardinals had never been to a World Series. It didn't even seem possible. I've talked about this before. It was only for the, you know, the Dodgers and the Reds and the Yankees and the Red Sox and those teams. It wasn't for the Cardinals. And in 82, 81, we were good. We should have made the playoffs, but 82, we got there. Little redemption story. And Bruce Suter pitched two innings, two strikeouts, and struck out Gorman Thomas, who could have uh, knocked it out of the park. We won the game six to three. And like I said, Suter goes two innings, and the Cardinals win the first World Series of my lifetime. And really, I'm 58 years old, and we've only won uh, three World Series. Yeah, three World Series in my lifetime, which I'm happy about. I'll take it. You know, I know there's worse things, Mr. <laughs> Cup fan. So that's my favorite postseason moments in Cardinal history. Okay. I'm going to, uh, I, I'm going to do the, uh, the most heartbreaking moment, get this out of the way early <laughs> in our podcast slash YouTube channel career. So I don't have to talk much about this. And of course I am talking about what has been known as the Bartman game. And that just really grinds on me because Steve Bartman did not lose this game for the Cubs. He was a fan doing what fans do. Foul ball comes up, you're standing there, you try to catch it. There are some fans, and I think you and I would be in this category, who are savvy enough to know, back up. But that doesn't happen that often because who sits on the front row of baseball games? Not the people who are the baseball fans, the people who are the fair weather fans. Hey, we've made it to the World Series. I'm a stockbroker and I make a lot of money. How Steve Bartman, a man who had kind of a pedestrian job from what I understand how he got these good tickets. I don't know, but he did what a lot of fans did. But let me, let me set the stage for this. I am sitting in a hotel room in Cape Girardeau and I am watching this game and I am like, Oh my gosh, we are going to do this. We're up two to nothing. And I think it was the seventh inning when the Marlins brought in Dontrell Willis and he threw a terrible wild pitch and we scored the third run. I thought it's over because we had Mark Pryor on the mound. And if you don't know Mark Pryor for one season, he was God. And he is one of those tragic baseball stories where injury killed his career, but he he had the potential to be an all-time great. We had, in a short period of time, Kerry Wood. um, We had uh, uh, Carlos Zambrano, and we had Mark Pryor all come up, and they were all on the staff, and they were all dynamite at this point in their career. So Pryor had won 18 games, spent some time on the disabled list, or could have probably would have won 20 games, And he finished third in Cy Young, had an ERA of about two and a half. But the problem was he was a pitcher out of USC and and Dusty Baker, who has a a reputation for this, he rode Pryor and Wood hard. He rode them very hard. And He is pitching a shutout going into the eighth inning, and the Marlins don't look like they're going to hit anybody, and this game is in Wrigley. He retires Mike Mordecai to start the eighth on a fly ball to left field, and that brings up Juan Pierre, who's a former Cub, a good player, 
Pierre hits a double. That's okay. We're up three to nothing. We did not have a strong bullpen, but we are up three to nothing with Mark freaking prior on the mound in game six. Okay. So that brings up Luis Castillo. Castillo hits a foul ball down the left field line. Moises Salou is the Cubs left fielder, and he goes to take a look at it. And then as it's coming down, he realizes, no, I may have a shot at this. And he reaches his glove out to catch it. And a fan, Steve Bartman's hand, pops right up to get the ball and knocks it away. My number one issue, and I have two issues with this inning, my number one issue was not the play. It was the way Moises Salou reacted. He threw his glove. He threw a fit. And that signaled panic. If he just trotted back out the left field, I don't think the mood in the stadium changes. But that just changed the mood in the stadium. I'm in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and I swear to God, I felt the mood in the stadium in Chicago change, not through the TV, just like, oh, my gosh, why did he throw such a fit? Why did he do that? Why would a professional athlete not keep his cool? As you can see, I'm very passionate about it. Oh, yeah. But I'm ag- I agree with you. Instead of a millionaire manning up and saying, I shouldn't have done that, which he has never admitted to, he let a guy, a working stiff who's making $30,000, $35,000 a year, he let him get his life ruined over this. So that's another reason why I'm emotional about it. Take out the sports. I think it was a, just a shitty thing to do for, for a millionaire athlete who's had a privileged life to just let this working guy take the blame for it and have the whole wrath of the city come down on him. So anyway, while you're watching the the telecast, they keep showing the replays. And at first they couldn't tell who touched the ball. Someone thought maybe it was a kid, you know, and then they realized, so oh, it's this guy with this green shirt on. So it made him stand out a bit. So immediately people started saying, word got around who this person was being, he had this green shirt on, he stood out. The ushers had to get him out because it was getting very, very uh, dangerous, hot there. So Pierre is on third Um, Castillo uh, gets a hit and uh, he's on first and Yvonne Rodriguez, hall of fame catcher. He comes to bat and he singles to left field that scores Pierre and the Cubs lead is cut the three to one. Okay. And that brings up Miguel Cabrera, who's a 20 year old at the time. And he hit a double play ball right to Alex Gonzalez, our shortstop, who only made 10 errors that year. It was a routine double play ball. We're going to be out of this inning, uh, up three to one going into the ninth. Gonzalez, the most routine double play ball you can have for some reason. He muffed it and the bases are now loaded. And that's when you could really feel the floodgates open up. So with the bases loaded, Derek Lee, another former Cub who played for the Cubs after the Marlins, he hits a double to left field. Castillo and Rodriguez score. The game is tied at three to three. We bring in Kyle Farnsworth. Farnsworth, who had the body of a Greek God and a fastball to, to match it. Well, uh, this time uh, he looked like he was pitching like me. He replaced Pryor, and uh, 
uh, they intentionally walked Spike, Mike Lowell and Jeff Conine, the original Marlin, I think the last of the original Marlins, gives the Marlins the lead with a sacrifice fly. Despite losing the lead, we're still down by just one run. We're still at home. We can recover from that. Mordecai comes up for a second at bat at the inning. He started the inning by flying out, and he doubles the left field, clearing the bases. They have a 7-3 lead. Juan Pierre comes up, has another RBI single. We are suddenly down 8-3, going into the bottom of the eighth. And not only did we lose game six, we lost game seven. And that next morning, I, w- I, I, I was an account manager for a, for a food company, and I was at one of my accounts, and the guy that I was talking to, my first account that day, knew I was a Cub fan, and he could probably just see it on me. He said, well, they got tonight. He didn't even ask me. He just said, well, they got tonight. I said, I'm not watching tonight, and I did not watch the game. I have never watched that game because I knew there was no way, even though we had Kerry Wood pitching, there was no way we were going to win that game. We are up three games to one. Uh, against the Marlins, and we have um, who pitched game five? Um, we have Zambrano pitching game okay. five, uh, prior game six, and Wood game seven. We have this three headed monster up. You had him right where you wanted him. Yeah, and we could not, we couldn't seal the deal. But the reason this this hurts, and, and I could have picked the 84 playoffs when uh, the ball went through Durham's leg, but the reason this hurt more for me wasn't just that we had the meltdown and we blew it. It was the human element where a whole city just completely crapped on this guy doing what almost anybody else would have done. And there's, there's a great uh, 30 for 30 documentary uh, from ESPN. I think you can still catch it on Netflix or one of the, one of the deals on Bartman. He's handled it with complete class. He, has, he could have capitalized on his celebrity, even when the Cubs won the World Series and they invited him back. No, thank you. Um, I'm fine. He didn't go on the talk show circuit. He just faded back into obscurity the best that he could. And I thought that was probably the classiest thing he could have done because some people in that, I think most people would have, would have oh, yeah. fought back in some way or another. And when, when you're one person fighting against a whole town and organization and Moises Alou, who shouldn't have thrown a fit, you know, it was just sad. So I blame it on Alou's fit and Gonzalez muffing the double play ball so they even put his address in the newspapers yes it was it was scary it was very scary uh, so it's just a fan he's just a fan yeah i agree with you um sometimes when that momentum starts to go you can just feel it i watched that game and you know i didn't have a i don't hate the cubs i hate the mets <laughs> <laughs> the cubs i was like well good for them and but as soon as that happened, I went, oh no! I just felt it. I felt it slipping away. I was like, oh, how's it, how are they going to lose it this time? And there it went. I'm sorry to rub it in, but that's how I felt on on another. Uh, I was uh, at Hillsboro, I believe, at the time. Oh. Well, be, before I get into my my favorite moment, <laughs> postseason moment as a Cub fan, uh, I do want to announce that I have just received my. 
uh, 2,342nd email telling me that um, I may have money coming to me if I ever been to Camp Lejeune. I have not. So anyway, I didn't even know the place existed. Congratulations. My wife has been there before. Oh, Maybe okay. she, yeah, she was there. You know, some ice water. Yeah. <laughs> Had a glass of water. Can I get a million bucks? Yeah. So, all right. Favorite moment, the 2016 Game 7 World Series. Let me set the stage for this. We are down to Cleveland three games to one, and we have to face um, – not sure what we're facing. I'm, I'm blank. But anyway, Game 5 in Wrigley, um, we win that game. So we're still down three games to two, going back to Cleveland. Now, the last time a team – down three games to two, went to an away ballpark and won the World Series was Pittsburgh in 1979. So we are looking at uh, almost 40 years since this has been done. So we, uh, we win game six. So game seven starts and the fans in Cleveland are going nuts. And the very first batter, very first pitch, uh, Dexter Fowler, who I'm – I will forever have such a soft spot in my heart. I'm so sorry that the Cardinals did not get the best of him, but he was fantastic with the Cubs. Um, he hits a home run to lead off the game, and it's one to nothing. So the, the, the Indians at that time, I guess I'll call them the Guardians now because we're not supposed to say Indians at all. The Guardians in the third, uh, they score, uh, they tie the score one to one. And then in the fourth, Addison Russell, who we can't talk about anymore because he's, he's, we found out he's a, he's a real, uh, piece of work. Anyway, he hits a sacrifice fly. Brian scores. Uh, we're up two to one. Uh, and then uh, Silver Sun second. Contreras doubles deep to the field. We're up three games to one. In the fifth inning, Bias hits a solo home run. We're up four to one. We're feeling really good. Um, and in the fifth inning, um, Rizzo singles to right. Brian scores. Uh, and Rizzo uh, is trying for second. He gets thrown out, but we're up five to one. And then um, Madden had so many good qualities as a manager, but as an in-game strategist, there are a lot of things I question, and I question this. They're up five to one. Kyle Hendricks is on the mound, and he's dealing. He's pitched four innings. He's given up one run. He's scattered four hits, but nothing was hit hard. He was, he was giving up soft contact. He was vintage uh, Kyle Hendricks at that time. And so with one out in the fourth, for some reason, men, men can't help himself out anymore. I got to bring Lester in. Okay. Less. So with, I think there were, there were two men on and Lester's first pitch bounces like a mile in front of the plate. Uh, hits, uh, Ross, Ross falls down over a bad, it looked like a Keystone cops thing. And they score a couple runs on the wild pitch. It's five to three. And I thought, Jesus Christ, here we go again. I'm sorry for those of you who are Christian out there, and I just use God's name in vain, so I'll say this. Gemini Christmas, you know, we just, so, so we get out of the fifth. In the sixth inning, David Ross and his last at bat in, in Major League Baseball, he hits a home run, and it's six to three, so we're feeling good again. Um, the eighth inning starts, and and once again, he can't help himself. Um, Madden brings in a very tired, very overused Araldus Chapman. 
And he knew Chapman was tired because he wasn't breaking 100 with his fastball, and he was regularly throwing 103-104 at that time, mm-hmm. the hardest in baseball at the time. So Chapman comes in, and he's tired, and he brings him in in the eighth. And uh, uh, they, they Romero scores on a double to make it 6-4, to four, and then Rajay Davis comes up with a man on, and Chapman throws a fastball that was about 98, which – should have been three, four, or five miles an hour, a little bit faster if he was vintage, um, but it was just slowed down enough that Davis got the head of the bat and he hit a home run and the score is tied six to six in the eighth. And to Chapman's credit, you know, we didn't score in the ninth. He held him down in the ninth and then the rain started. And <laughs> I was like, I could not watch the Cubs blow another one. I went to bed. I sent the kids to bed. I went to bed. The rain started. I'm not waiting through this rain delay to watch the Cubs blow this. So while I'm laying in bed, I don't know why I went to bed because I'm not going to sleep. <laughs> Jason Hayward tells every player, get in the weight room, players only. And he tells them, you are you don't realize how good you are. You are so good. There is no reason why you can't go go out there and win this game. And I don't care if you call it a bad contract or what that the Fowler signed. I'd pay him a billion dollars just for that speech. <laughs> because the tenth starts and um the first batter is Kyle Schwarber, who barely played because he was injured, I think the first or second game of the year and didn't come back until the World Series. He led off with a, with a single, and uh, then uh, um, they pinch ran Albert Amora Jr. So Amora Jr. is on is is on a first base, and and Bryant comes up and he hits a deep fly ball that nobody ever tags up on first and takes second on. They all just go halfway in case the fielder drops it. Amora had. Uh, a pretty good baseball IQ this night because he stayed close to the base. And as soon as the ball was caught, he tagged up from first to second. And at that time, by the way, my wife had come told me that the game is starting. The rain delay wasn't that long. And I got back up. I did watch the end of the game. So Amor is on second and uh, uh, Zobris doubles to left to score him. So we're up. And then uh, Rizzo hit, had also, I think Rizzo walks. So Rizzo's on third, uh, Almora's on second, and Rizzo is on third going, oh my God, oh my God. You know, he realizes we're up by one run. We may win the World Series. Miguel Montero comes in. He singles to left. Rizzo scores, overs to third, uh, Russell to second. We're up eight to six. In the in the 10th inning, the bottom of the 10th inning, uh, we bring in, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Carl Edwards Jr., who, oh, who yeah. is a great pitcher. And I think he's still around. Is he? And he gets the first two outs pretty, pretty easily. And then he runs into some trouble and they tie the score eight to seven. And we have two outs. And I do not remember. I should have looked this up. I do not remember. The Indians were down to like their last player on the bench to pinch hit. He was a fast guy, but he wasn't much of a hitter. So he hit a weak ground ball to third on the wet turf. Bryant picks it up and starts to slide. And I'm thinking, here we go. I, yeah, he's going to throw the ball into the stands. And somehow 
it went right to Rizzo's face and he caught the ball and we won the World Series. And I will tell you, I have been through a lot as a Cub fan growing up in St. Louis. And what, what Cardinal fans didn't understand was the teasing is fun, but the hurtful teasing was not fun. You don't kick a team when they're down. I would never the next day get on social media or tell my friends, boy, the Cardinals blew that. I bet you're really sad. I have, I have went through that with some of the real jerks in life. And then, you know, when you get angry and say, oh, yeah, we're just joking. Oh, it's, it's only funny because you're being the bully now picking on, you know, the Cub fan. So the 50 years of my life, plus the uh, 74, 75 years of my dad's life, we'd never seen a World Series, plus my grandfather, who we just buried the year before, who in his 90s, who'd never seen a World Series. Cardinal fans don't understand the generational pain we have went through. And when that last out, I, I ran into the street of Peavely, Missouri, and <laughs> I screamed. And I wanted to wake people up, and I wanted them to know, now my team has won the World Series. My father's team has won the World Series. My grandfather's team has won the World Series. All my family members who have suffered for so long through 1969, through 1984, through 1989, through 1998, through 2003, through 2007, through 2008, we've done it. We've got it. And I think that made it sweeter than what any Cardinal fan, uh, you know, like you won the first World Series, you know, that's the most special. Oh, yeah. At that point in time, you know, people were saying, well, the Cubs, you know, they've got, they've got this young team. They can be a dynasty. I got hurt when they made it to the playoffs in 17, 18, 19, uh, I think 20. They, they, they went to the playoffs after that. But uh, – it hurt when they lost, but it wasn't near the pain and agony I had felt before because my team finally was on top. And I thought it was very funny, that funny, ironic, whatever. I had some great friends who were Cardinal fans who congratulated me, and that did mean a lot to me. But the, the friends of mine that were fans, the ones that were kind of jerks about the whole rivalry thing, I never heard a thing about them. I heard crickets. <laughs> crickets for like three years because the Cardinals didn't make the playoffs. And then when the Cardinals finally made the playoffs, they come out of the woodwork. Hey, we're good again. <laughs> Where were you the last three years? So, you know, there's a debate who are the best fans in baseball. I honestly believe, and I don't believe this just because I'm a Cub fan. I honestly believe that the Cub fans are the best in baseball. I've had people ask me many times, you live in St. Louis, you grew up in St. Louis. Why aren't you a Cardinal fan? That's like me asking you, well, why don't you become a Cub fan? I can't just say, hey, I don't want to be a Cub fan anymore. It's in my blood. Yes. Um, that's my team. And so for, for casual fans who can go in and out based upon whether it's convenient or not to, to jump on a bandwagon for a winner, I, I get that. But for for hardcore baseball fans like you and me and the baseball nerds who are listening to this, they get it. They really do get it. You can't just decide, 
you know what? I think I'm going to be a Colorado Rockies fan now. You can't do it because it's inside you. It's as much inside me as being an opera is me. It's my family. I can't get away from it. It's me. So that's why that was the most special postseason moment of my life. Coming in at a close second was the 2015 playoffs. <laughs> we finally beat the Cardinals in the postseason, but I'll save that for another day. I'm going to say this. When you beat us that year, we won the division, I believe, in 2015. You guys had a better second half in that we were, season. That right? 2015 season, we the first half, we looked like we were a team who was still a year away. We really did a year away from competing. The way we took off the second half surprised everybody. All this talent suddenly came together. And Jake Arietta somehow, you know, oh, yeah. I don't know what deal he made with what entity, but <laughs> man, he was unhittable that year until the Mets got a hold of me. But I was worried when we went to that series. I was worried, even though, you know, we were the division winner. I didn't feel good about it. And that kind of signaled the next five years of Cubs dominance. You guys were the better team for the next five years. But, you know, people, I think the worst thing they do is they say, like, gold. they say in July, Goldsmith's going to win the Triple Crown. Oh, no. You just, no, it's, a, it's done. Well, when they said, oh, the Cubs are going to win three more World Series, I was like, I, it's so hard to win a World Series. Oh, it, 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 it is. It's devastating. Hard. Everything's just got to go right. The young guys have to come through. The old guy, you know, defense, pitching, everything. So when they said, oh, now they're going to go on this, uh, you know, win three in a row, I was like, mm, I don't, maybe, but probably not. It's tough. It's very tough. The Astros and the Dodgers probably are the best two teams in baseball right now. And they both, well, Astros have won one, sort of, kind of, and the Dodgers won one. And getting back to the best fans, I can't say nothing bad about the Cub fans. They support the team when they're down. And when they win, the way they lose, it's almost like an opera. It's so tragic. But they keep coming back and supporting the team, and I respect that. I think the Cardinal fans, great fans. And sometimes you hear the silent minority or the vocal minority, you know, chirping about things. But for the most part, it's grandpas, fathers and sons and wives and daughters just going to the game, having a good time. And we don't – yeah, we're not – uh, to to win is not to put you down. I mean, I want to celebrate a win, but it's not to hurt the other team or put the other team down. I've seen Cardinal games where it's the Reds, and except for Brandon Phillips, <laughs> any Red that would hustle or make a good play, I've seen the Cardinal fans give the guys stand ovation. I was at the game when uh, King Griffey Jr. hit number six hundred at Bush Stadium. He got a curtain call. You don't hardly ever see that. Yeah, know, especially, especially for a guy who never played in that city or anything. Um, I, I put I put the uh, Red Sox fans. I mean, <laughs> they're a little aggressive, but they're very loyal fans. So there's some real good fan bases out there. It's tough to say who's the greatest fans. I don't know. But I know the Cubs and the Cardinals and the Red Sox are probably the top three right there. And don't get me wrong. I don't I don't mind the needling and the jokes are are funny. You know, <laughs> I, I don't mind. It's you don't pick the spot when someone's down to kick them. Um, that's what it's like, uh, you know, when the Cubs lost in 84, I was in college and they blew that game against the Padres game five. Cause the, 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 um, playoffs only went five games back then. And the Padres went to the world series. The next day was brutal. 
the 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 cardinal fans just gave it to me and i'm like what are you doing man so i will admit the next year when the cardinals blew it against the royals the next day every cardinal fan that gave me gruff the year before that that was still in school there and i know what happened to you last night you know yeah Oh, yeah, I, I thought the tutor, when he punched a fan, would have actually punched a human being, not an electronic <laughs> electronic appliance that can cut his hand up. So. Oh, yeah, you're bringing back some rough memories there. Yeah, let's end it with some happiness and let's oh, open yes. baseball cards. Baseball cards. Oh, where did mine go? I had it somewhere around here. Where's my cards? Well, oh, JJ man. looks. Oh. I want to let you know, I am opening up a 1989 tops baseball card 89 yeah. all right 89 good year i'll go ahead and get started all right i got a guy named jose sencia don't know who he is <laughs> dan Playsack. sun oh. pitches for the indians the guardians now and uh he was a former cub good i one. got his autograph nice guy kelly gruber Oh, third, yeah, baseman. third baseman. Yeah. Yeah. And he, uh, his wife was at like an Olympic gold medalist swimmer or something like that. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. Bill Doran, who was a really good second baseman for the Strohs back in the day. Uh, Kurt Manwaring, a uh, good defensive catcher with a fun name to say, Manwaring. Manwaring. Fun. Um, one of those uh, dreaded Mets, Wally Backman. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Reed. I don't remember much about him. Paul Kilgis from the Rangers, who went from the Rangers to the Cubs. Okay. Lefty. Ooh, Bo Bichette's daddy. Dante. Dante. Yes. Very good. Um, <laughs> this poor man, I feel so sorry for him. Larry Anderson, who was traded – uh, to the Red Sox for a minor leaguer named Jeff Bagwell, Bagwell. Hall of Famer. Uh, oh, front the pride of Freeburg, Illinois. I don't know if he still lives there, but he used to. Uh, Cardinal pitcher Danny Cox. Oh, yeah. From a Georgia man. Yeah. Uh, Willie Frazier from the Angels. Um, okay. Not to be confused with George Frazier, the boxer. Uh, Dave Clark who uh, had a band called the Dave Clark Five. <laughs> you beat me to that joke. That was a good one. <laughs> By the way, for those of you who don't know, JJ and I are uh, comedians, local comedians in St. Louis. So that's why that's why the jokes are so bad, because we're just local <laughs> yeah. comedians. Ron Kittle. Oh, I think yeah. This is the second time I've gotten Ron Kittle. Ron, Ron Kittle, Kittle. Slugger for the, for the uh, White Sox, and then he went on and played for the Indians at this time. I remember him as a White Sox. I don't remember the Indian years. I, I don't honestly. I did not know he played for the Indians until I just saw that picture of him with an Indians hat on. The Guardians. Yeah. The Guardians. So, I know I won't get used to that. And then here's the 1989 Baltimore <laughs> Orioles team leaders, and uh, Eddie Murray, Cal Ripken, uh, seem to be dominating everything. Um, pitching. Uh, who was the best pitcher that year? Uh, maybe Mike Bordick. Maybe I don't know. Gosh, uh, wins was Jeff Ballard and Dave Schmidt. Eight. Is this the year that the Orioles lost like twenty games to start the season? 
Uh, no, I thought that was earlier. That's when Cal Ripken's dad was coach. That was, this is, that was 88. This is the 89 cards. That's why they're best pitchers. Only won eight games. And the next year, Frank Robinson took over the same team and almost took them to the playoffs. I'll be darned. So, I mean, so anyway, that's my pack. What do you got? I have, I'm going back to 2008. Gosh, I think that's 16. It's hard for me to read. I can't see in here. 2016, it's got uh, Mike Trout on the front, a young Mike Trout right oh, there. Oh, wow. And on these tops cards, what I like, it's like the Madden game. It's who's on, like Otani's this year. I think the 2018 was uh, Bryce Harper. And then you got the Trouts right here. Oh, I like this here. Uh, one of your guys. This is when he's with Toronto, but it's uh, Marcus Stroman right Marcus. there. Yeah, and I like the style of the card with the little ribbon there with the Blue Jay face on it. That's pretty. That's a nice card. It's glossy. These aren't good for autographs because the uh, pen smears on here. Mm-hmm. You had to put a little alcohol pad on there and kind of rub off an area for them to sign if you're going to have it put on those. And most of today's cards have that glossy outlook right there. Oh, <laughs> somebody you just mentioned today in his Arizona Diamondback years, Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray coming down there. Look at the nice photos right there, too. These glossy ones, they've come a long way in their photos. Yeah. Over the years with the baseball cards. Uh, Josh Tomlin, nice career. There he is, uh, a Cleveland player. I'm sorry, the Indians right there. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Who else we got here? Uh, Tom Kohler. I don't even know who that is. Oh, I like this name, Chichi Gonzalez. Texas Rangers right there. Yeah, Chi-Chi. <laughs> There's an old dirty joke about Chi-Chi. I won't get into that right now. Uh, yes, it's a it's a family show. Uh, Caleb Joseph, I don't know him, a Oriole player right there. He's got a good pose. Yeah, good pose. <laughs> I tell you what, if I had one baseball card, I thought I would make it. That's when you made it, when you, they make a baseball card. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Some of these guys I don't even know. Hector Santiago, a California Angel player, right there. Mm-hmm. I like the I like the big A with the halo on it. Teams yeah. change, the reason the Cardinals and the Cubs, two of the greats, they don't change their uniforms. I mean, what's the Padres? Don't they have like seven uniforms or something like that? Uh, some yeah. of these teams. Um, there's a card here many healthy returns i can't read the bottom of it but it's two of the cardinals on it and it's like the checklist they take the uh, 2016 and they have a checklist on the back of all the cards so i know kids used to mark the ones they got and the ones they needed and things like that that's old school right there a lot of people i heard so many people saying let's see they got a hollowed highlights don manley hits home runs in eight straight games don maddenly who got let go by the Marlins uh, this year. He won't be bad yeah. coaching. Few coaches have been let go, but that's my set right there. The uh, 2016 tops cards. Oh, very good. Well, we will be back next week and we will have more adventures. And once more, I do want to uh, let you know that we do have a Facebook page. Like it, leave comments. We are going to get more active in that. And as we get a little more acclimated with what we're doing, we will be doing a little more 
spreading out in social media and making our presence well-known. And if you have friends who are baseball nerds, alert them to what we're doing here. Um, we like all the listenership we are talking about doing our first contest for those of you who are listening slash viewing. And uh, we got some neat things. You know, JJ's got some awesome uh, memorabilia that he can give you. And I've got like uh, old history books or something. Maybe I can give you, I don't know. But anyway, thank you for joining us and we will see you next week. Take care.